Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when the so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. This week, we mark the 35th anniversary of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island with a special report. It presents what it was like for me and others during the first three days of that nuclear accident and meltdown. We'll hear from nuclear engineer Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education, Middletown resident Mary Stamos, TMI alert technical expert Scott Portsline, former NRC commissioner Peter Bradford, with media clips of Walter Cronkite and interviews done at the time of the accident. I'll be sharing parts of my own story as well. And in honor of this anniversary, I will be offering a special commemorative gift from me to you for free. All that will be coming up in a very short moment. Today is Tuesday, March 25, 2014, and here is an extremely brief edition of the week's anti-nuclear news. Last Friday, March 21st, New Mexico withdrew a temporary permit allowing two new disposal vaults at the U.S. government nuclear waste dump, the WIP site, because of accidents and radiation leaks which have been taking place since February 14. Nuclear Regulatory Commissioner William Magwood is leaving the agency to become Director General of the Paris-based Nuclear Energy Agency within the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Don't you just love that nuclear revolving door between regulation and working for the guys? Magwood will begin reporting in September. Meanwhile, the term of a second Democratic Commissioner of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, George Apostolakis, is slated to expire on June 30th. That makes two openings in the NRC and the chance to get two commissioners in to back up and buck up Allison and Wonderland McFarland, the chair. I'm not holding my breath, but I am holding a good thought. Speaking of Allison McFarland, the governor of Massachusetts has sent her a letter on behalf of 15 southeastern Massachusetts communities which have expressed their serious concerns about the safety of the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. He writes, these communities, which geographically surround the facility, each have issued local statements calling for the closing of Pilgrim. Because there is no viable evacuation plan in such circumstances, I share these concerns. We'll have a link to the letter up on the website. And now, our special report. This week, we mark the 35th anniversary of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with a nuclear hot seat special report. What we forget is the fear. In the wake of Fukushima, we in the movement for nuclear sanity and the media 
will often refer to the nuclear accident that took place at Three Mile Island, which happened on March 28, 1979. But we don't really discuss it or even consider it in any detail. There are undoubtedly listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat who weren't even born then and don't know much about this accident other than what they've heard so often from the media, the government, and the industry. It happened. Nobody died. No big deal. And then, if this person is in a nuclear conversation, we'll move the discussion to the more obvious horrors of Chernobyl or Fukushima. But I cannot forget Three Mile Island because I was there, literally one mile away, visiting an old friend who had recently moved to the area. The first day, I was ignorant of the accident because I was alone in my friend's house, doing some writing, and not listening to radio or television. By not paying attention to the media, I missed the initial warnings, which sounded like this. An accident in the water cooling system at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, forced the company to call a general emergency and shut down part of the plant for an unspecified period. Just two days later, Walter Cronkite, the most trusted newsman in America, started a special report on Three Mile Island on CBS like this. The world has never known a day quite like today. It faced the considerable uncertainties and dangers of the worst nuclear power plant accident of the atomic age. And the horror tonight is that it could get much worse. It is not an atomic explosion that is feared. The experts say that is impossible. But the specter was raised of perhaps the next most serious kind of nuclear catastrophe, a massive release of radioactivity. The Nuclear Regulator Regulatory Commission cited that possibility with an announcement that, while it is not likely, the potential is there for the ultimate risk of a meltdown at the Three Mile Island Atomic Power Plant outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But by the time Cronkite's announcement hit the airwaves, much had happened that set the course for the accident, the bungled follow-up, and the trail of lies that followed. The nuclear accident at Three Mile Island began at 4 a.m. on Wednesday, March 28, 1979, with failures in the non-nuclear secondary system, followed by a stuck open valve, which allowed large amounts of nuclear reactor coolant to escape. The mechanical failures were compounded by the initial failure of plant operators to recognize the situation as a loss of coolant accident due to inadequate training, and human factors. In particular, a hidden indicator light led to an operator manually overriding the automatic emergency cooling system of the reactor because the operator mistakenly believed that there was too much coolant water present in the reactor and causing the steam pressure release. Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education and a familiar supportive presence to the anti-nuclear movement was a nuclear industry insider at the time of Three Mile Island. He has since come to be one of the world experts in exactly what took place. The big questions he addresses are, how bad was the accident from the start? What radiation was released into the environment? Should an evacuation have been ordered, and if so, when? The following audio of Arnie is taken from a video on Fairwinds.com entitled, Three Myths of Three Mile Island. 
Be aware that there is music in the background coming from a marching band that was playing in the lobby of the hotel when this symposium took place. Around 7 o'clock in the morning, an engineer and his supervisor, using an approved procedure, calculated that the exposure in Goldsboro might be as high as 10 R an hour. Now, it was an approved procedure, and people had worked on it for years, and it was actually a TMI Unit 1 procedure. So this is not a, a new procedure. And by the procedure, an evacuation was required. There's no doubt that by the, the written process that people not in a crisis situation had available to them, by 7, 7.30 in the morning, an evacuation was required. At 7.30, TMI called the state and told them they had 10 R an hour, but they said that it seemed too conservative. And one of the things they said is that the pressure inside the containment wasn't as high as they had expected. But the state was aware that calculations showed 10 R an hour. But TMI's position was that it seemed too conservative. They said the pressure wasn't high enough. Well, within the calculation, there was no pressure dependency. So basically, they went outside the realm in a crisis situation as opposed to letting the procedure govern how you should be working your way through. What they did not tell the state in that 7.30 phone call is that employees working outside had already begun to receive exposures. There's, uh, there's at least one case of an exposure of 20 milliram to an employee who was out on the grounds before 7.30 in the morning. They did not tell the state that already almost every radiation detector in the plant was off scale. According to Arnie Gunderson, a helicopter flew to Goldsboro, directly west of the Three Mile Island plant, at about 7.30 in the morning and reported that it found no radiation. But there are problems with that evaluation. It was a very calm day, and the helicopter actually got to Goldsboro before a plume would have gotten there. So had radiation been coming, another problem is that the plume would have been very narrowly focused. If the helicopter were off by as little as 6 degrees, meaning not directly in the center of the plume, the readings could have been off by a factor of 10,000 in the dose recorded. Finally, the helicopter actually arrived on site at 8.30 in the morning, not at 7.30 as was initially reported. Around this time, in the control room of the reactor, Frightened engineers and plant operators tried to figure out what to do. What follows is a recording from a dictaphone that was either accidentally or intentionally left on and recorded what the people we count on in a nuclear accident sound like as they try to figure out what to do. The sound quality is not good, but listen closely as they discuss the problem and briefly consider the possibility of evacuation.
They admitted they were operating almost totally in the blind. And it was on that basis that they decided not to call an evacuation. Mary Stamos is a longtime resident of Middletown, Pennsylvania. She lived and still lives only six and a half air miles from the facility and was directly in the center of the trajectory of the plume, though she did not know it at the time. I went into the driveway, and it was really strange because the air was filled with metal, and I didn't know if I was breathing it or tasting it, but I just looked around, and I couldn't figure out what what was going on. And the thing that was really strange, it was a beautiful, sunny morning, and there were no birds when the birds were chirping all over the place the day before. And I just wondered, you know, what was going on, but I had no clue. While Mary Stamos had no clue, neither did the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Peter Bradford was an NRC commissioner at the time and had previously worked closely with Ralph Nader. Here are his recollections of that morning. On the morning of the 28th of March, the commissioners received some level of notification, and I don't remember now just what level it was, but it was not a dramatic notification, simply that something unusual had happened at the plant. If I'm remembering correctly, it was a form of notification that we probably got five or six times a year with regard to events at nuclear plants. It was an indication that something out of the ordinary had happened, but it gave no hint of the severity of the uh, events at Three Mile Island. Arnie Gunderson pointed to a second window of opportunity for an evacuation to be ordered between 10 and 11 in the morning. The next time I suggest would be a a good time to have evacuated is around 10 o'clock in the morning, between 10 and 11. By then, they knew that core thermocouples, that's a device to measure temperature inside the core, were measuring 2,100 degrees. Well, normally they measure about 500 degrees. And 2,100 degrees indicates that the fuel rods are entering something called a zirk-water reaction. Fuel rods are made of zirconium, and they scavenge oxygen out of H2O. So the oxygen gets pulled out of the H2O, releasing hydrogen. So by 10 o'clock in the morning, they knew that there was hydrogen being generated. There was not enough pooling or no pooling going through the core. Also, by 10 o'clock, um, they had reactive cooling pumps, which are massive, uh, three, 4,000 horsepower pumps. And the uh, amperage for those pumps was very low. And that's an indication that they're not pumping water. It's an indication they're pumping steam or air. And the next thing is that in a, in a pressurized water reactor, they have neutron monitors in the core, but they have neutron monitors outside of the nuclear reactor. And the neutron monitors outside of the nuclear reactor were reading very high levels of neutrons. Well, what that means is that there was no water to moderate the neutrons. Even if the reaction was shut down, there were still more neutrons than they had ever experienced outside the core. And that's an indication that the core had lost its water and was, um, and was uncovered. Again, around 10 o'clock, the radiation monitors in the dome of the containment were at lethal levels thousands of R an hour, again an indication that fuel is breaking down. And 
around 10 o'clock in the morning, Health Physics asked the plant management to evacuate the auxiliary building. So all these things were happening, and yet the state wasn't told that things were really out of control. The state wasn't told, the NRC wasn't told, and we the people were not told. The plant manager at Three Mile Island at the time was a man named Denny Miller. Arnie relayed what Miller had to say over the next few years about what was going on in that time frame. Note that everything he says as a quote, he has substantiated with footnotes in a report that is up on TMIA, the Three Mile Island Alerts website. The plant manager at the time was a guy named Miller. And here's what he had to say over the next couple years about what was going on in that time frame. They were hot enough that they scared you. And he was talking about the in-court temperature. Well, if you're scared, one would think that an evacuation might be in order. Pretty early, we were scared. Radiation was all over the place. Everything was off scale. Another indication, if you're scared, it's about time to at least tell the civilians that it's time to, time to move out. And finally, we were not in our minds convinced that the Corps was totally covered. That's another indication that it's time to, to let the civilians know to, to head for the hills, and it didn't happen. This was uh, uh, another interesting quote. We don't know where the hell the plant was going. Now, Miller said that in a phone call to Parsippany. Parsippany was the headquarters office at 7.30 in the morning. And it was pretty clear in my mind that Miller was suggesting we should go to a general emergency. And the people in Parsippany talked him down to a site emergency. He changed his tune. We will have an interesting footnote on site manager Denny Miller at the end of this special report. What was going on in the outside world while all this was happening inside Three Mile Island? Arnie Gunderson reports on an email he received about one year ago. Since I've been talking about Fukushima, I got an a email that brought me to tears. It was a, a woman who was in 10th grade at the time of the accident, and she was in chemistry, and they were studying radiation, and they had a Geiger counter hanging out the window for the entire semester. They walk into the class at 10 o'clock on the morning of the accident, and the Geiger counter is pegged. So the teacher goes to the, the, the phone as a responsible citizen. He calls Governor Thornburg and tells him, look, I'm in Middleburg. I've got a pegged Geiger counter here. What should I do? And Governor Thornburg's office told this, uh, this, this high school teacher, uh, don't do anything. We know all about it. So they kept the kids in school, and, and who got evacuated were the kids, some people who worked at the power plant. They all came by and grabbed their kids and got out of there. But the kids that, uh, that didn't have the inside scoop wound up staying in Middletown and, and, uh, and got high exposure. At about this same time, Mary Stamos received first word that there was a real problem down at the end plant. Around 10.30 the morning of the accident, I got a phone call from my sister-in-law, and she worked for an environmental group, and there were attorneys there that were members of Three Mile Island Alert, and she said they told her that something had happened at Three Mile Island. The plant was shut down. They had some type of an accident. So I heard about it hours later after the metallic taste. I thought I was far enough away 
that it wouldn't be a problem. At 12.20, the NRC called TMI and asked, what is the temperature in the core? TMI got back to them shortly thereafter, and they said, we don't know. The computer is printing question marks. They said, that means that the computer is messed up. In fact, question marks meant that the temperature in the core was over 700 degrees. They did not know how high, but they knew it was high, and that was another indication of a meltdown in progress. A couple of minutes before two, there was a hydrogen explosion. Now, the industry will call it a hydrogen burn, but it was a hydrogen explosion. This from a newscast at the time. It roared uh, with a, uh, a tremendous uh, roar of releasing steam. It woke me up, uh, and uh, I looked out the window, and I saw this uh, huge column going up in the air and roaring. The NRC was not informed of this explosion until two days later. The following is transcribed from Arnie Gunderson's presentation, Three Myths of Three Mile Island. He said, Plant manager Miller was in the control room at the time based on affidavits from four reactor operators. They all said Miller knew about it. The control room shook. Now, when your building starts shaking, I think that is about the last indication you need that you really should let the civilians know to head for the hills. After that, it was unconscionable that an evacuation was not ordered on that first day. Of course, the official response from Three Mile Island and other industry officials was typical. Everything is under control. There is and was no danger to public health and safety. There was a small release of radiation to the environment. All safety equipment functioned properly. Metropolitan Edison has been monitoring the air in the vicinity of the plant constantly since the incident. No increase in normal radiation levels has been detected. The situation is more complex than the company first led us to believe. We are taking more tests, and at this point we believe there's still no danger to the public health. Uh, we have absolutely no question about the safety of nuclear plants as a result of this mishap. We do not refer to it as a nuclear accident because it was not that. And uh, as I say, all these systems went into operation as they should have. So when is a nuclear accident not a nuclear accident? Apparently, when the nuclear industry says so. None of the tumult going on within Three Mile Island, none of the damage, None of the information that Arnie Gunderson presented on the 30th anniversary of the accident was known to the outside world at that time. Mary Stamos. The evening news had Walter Cronkite on, and I missed all of what he said, but I had heard shortly after that that they were talking about this nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. And then the next morning, my neighbor worked at the hotel near me, and she would come by for coffee, and we'd sit and talk. And she told me on Thursday morning, the second day of the accident, I mean, this is like 6 a.m. in the morning, that reporters were calling from all over the world to make reservations to stay at the hotel because of the accident. 
And, you know, we weren't told it was anything serious. The evening newspaper on March 28th said low levels of radiation escape after end plant reactor pump fails. Leak poses no danger to the populace. Later in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon, the lieutenant governor goes on television and says that, you know, the accident at Three Mile Island told us that there'd be no problem. They would be able to restart in a couple of days. And then later he comes back on television, like within an hour or so, and he says, we've been misled. Uh, we've been lied to. The nuclear accident is more severe than we have been led to believe. We were told to close our doors and windows. When I heard that, that's when I got really scared because I had heard from bomb fallout victims, you know, the, the history and the story of Utah and Nevada and other nuclear places where they're told to close their doors and windows. If nothing is happening, you can breathe the air, but they told us to close our doors and windows, and that was Thursday afternoon, and I started to really get worried. On the other hand, I wasn't worried at all. That's because I continued to ignore the media, dismissing the little bit I'd heard as an overblown media response to that little problem down at the end plant. Of course, it did not stop me from declaring myself as a member of that self-same media because I was a freelancer close to a big story and I wanted to capitalize upon it. The second day of the accident, as the reactor invisibly leaked radioactivity into the environment, I walked over a mile into Middletown, breathing deeply of the Pennsylvania springtime air, completely ignorant of the possible danger to which I was exposing myself. I stood around outside interviewing people, waited half an hour on a corner for a bus, and then the two of us made our way back to the house, walking back from the bus stop. The third day of the accident, Friday, March 30th, I was alone in the house working on a musical, coincidentally entitled Armageddon, when I heard a bullhorn going down the street in front of the house, issuing the same warning as was heard at Fukushima. Stay indoors, close your doors and windows, and do not go outside unless you absolutely have to. Here's why. It began at 6.40 this morning and lasted until 9 o'clock. Another unexpected and substantial release of radiation into the atmosphere from reactor number 2. It produced a huge cloud of radioactive xenon gas and radiation levels 10 times the amount considered safe for the general public to be exposed to in a full year. The new information is this. The accident sent ionized radiation beaming through the plant's four-foot-thick walls. Consequently, the metal shield that protects the nuclear fuel may have been damaged. Suddenly, everything I had been made afraid of during the Cold War as coming from the Russians was threatening my life from just one mile away, courtesy my own government. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. For all I knew, the radiation level was so high that, in effect, I was already dead. Former NRC Commissioner Peter Bradford. The commission did not become aware of the seriousness of the event until Friday morning when we learned that there had been 
radiation measured by a helicopter flying over the plant site, and no one seemed to have a good explanation of what the source of that radiation was, whether it was likely to get worse, whether there were likely to be other releases. So for the first time, the commission had to focus on both notifying the rest of the federal government and formulating a recommendation for the governor of Pennsylvania as to what, if any, level of evacuation he should order. You know, I don't remember much about the debate among the commissioners. I know the consensus that we reached was to recommend the evacuation of pregnant women and children under the age of five from within a five-mile radius. Outside Three Mile Island, all was bedlam and chaos. But at least the world's reporters were on the job. What's it been like here since Wednesday? Conflicting statements from the governor's office, the NRC here, the NRC in Washington, and the company Metropolitan Edison that owns the plant. There's been a severe communications problem uh, getting information back to Washington. I was there. I think we're very close to a a chaotic situation. Part of it, I think, is a lack of credibility of what we're being told. Part of it's the confusion that's coming forth. I think it's inexcusable that we leave a private utility in full command of the situation. Uh, being advised and pulled and tugged and fragmented by the structure there. How can you say it's not an accident when the radiation is being detected as far away as 16 miles? The accident did not occur inside uh, the reactor in the slightest. It was a uh, a feed pump uh, connected to the turbine outside of the reactor area. And that was a failure of a piece of machinery, and therefore it was an accident of a there's also a bubble in the reactor vessel that means that any change in the hydraulics of the core have to be carefully monitored. So we're looking very carefully at the way the applicant intends to get the core to a cold shutdown condition. Uh, there's no relationship between that and what is thought of as a nuclear accident. Middletown resident Mary Stamos. The next morning, around 8.30 or 9.30, all of a sudden... I heard sirens ringing and the church bells were ringing, which I never heard like this, and all of the sirens were ringing in this area. And I turned the TV on. I didn't see anything. Then I turned my radio on, and I hear the newscaster, Ron Drake, talking about having uncontrolled radiation releases from Three Mile Island. And that's when I really started to panic, and a little bit later... The one person, I don't know who it was, we consider him a hero, he turned the sirens on in Harrisburg, and the people started to panic, and they were hearing all the news about what was happening. And then the governor, Thornburg, was kind of forced into talking about radiation, you know, and the exposure that people might be getting. Based on advice of the chairman of the NRC, and in the interest of taking every precaution, I am advising those who may be particularly susceptible to the effects of any radiation, that is, pregnant women and preschool-aged children, to leave the area within a five-mile radius of the Three Mile Island facility until further notice. And like I said, I'm six and a half miles away, but I was still worried. The whole idea of being able to evacuate communities that size is absurd. It's been absurd all along. 
advising the people on the basis of information, on the basis of a recommendation from the chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that they simply ought to stay indoors as a precautionary measure, you know, until they hear further word from us. It's that simple. Yeah, a lot of people are leaving the Harrisburg area right now. Uh, my own family's on the way to New York City right now to stay with relatives. Uh, a lot of people, the gas stations are flooded, the banks were busy, people were withdrawing some of their money so they could get out of here. I didn't have a car that morning, so I talked to my neighbor, and she said that um, we could go to her mother's house. So I got my son ready. I went to school to get my daughter out of school, and her teacher was really upset because she had children that she couldn't go get until all her children from the school were leaving. So when we got to the school, got my daughter, and then we went to my friend's mother's home, that was about 10 miles. And then my husband was still out of town. He worked at a telephone company, and when he tried to call, he couldn't even get through. The phone lines were so jammed. I had the exact same problem trying to call out. There was this weird oh. siren sound on the line that wouldn't let me get through. Oh, wow. My friends finally did get through to me on the phone, which had been jammed with no lines available. They picked me up, and we evacuated to a friend of theirs who lived 150 miles away, which we hoped was far enough. I stayed there for the next 10 days, and then flew out, away from Harrisburg, away from Middletown, away from Three Mile Island. So I missed having a community of people who, together, were able to process what had happened to them, commiserate with each other, and get angry, in a legal way, at the powers that be at Three Mile Island. I also missed the worst of the follow-up information. When I got my daughter ready to go back to school the one morning, um, I was brushing her hair, and she had thick, lovely hair, blondish, and uh, a whole lot of hair came out in the hairbrush, and it kind of freaked me out. I gave my son a little bath, and I saw a whole wad of hair in the tub, which I never had experienced before. And when I looked at his scalp, I could see his scalp, and it wasn't solid hair. And I didn't think a whole lot of it because I thought when radiation caused hair fallout, I thought you would be bald. I didn't know until a couple years later that you could just have a certain degree of hair loss. I didn't know what was going to happen to us in the future if we'd all get cancer or whatever. Other post-Three Mile Island problems noticed and documented by Mary Stamos include a sudden growth spurt in some of her plants, as much as four inches in less than a week. Mutated flowers branching out into multiples that did not previously exist in nature. A rose that grew out of the middle of another rose but with no reproductive components visible on either of them. And dandelion leaves that were three feet long. These are all evidence of a process known as fasciation, which are mutations in plant life following exposure to radiation. Fasciation has also been observed at Fukushima and Chernobyl. At Three Mile Island, Animal mutations and animal deaths followed. There was a lady, 
at one of the first meetings I ever attended, the public NRC meeting, she stood up and asked a question of the NRC or MedEd, the Metropolitan Edison, the TMI owners. And she wanted to know when they were going to pay her for the, her losses of animals. And she had a dog kennel or a poodle kennel. And her poodles was born with no eyes. It had eye sockets but no eyes. And she lived right down across the street from Three Mile Island. They paid her every penny that she asked for, but she was not allowed to talk about it. Mary Stamos became and remains involved with Three Mile Island Alert. In the wake of the accident, learning that there was no epidemiological follow-up to determine the impact of the accident on the health of local residents, she and others from the group went door-to-door in the evacuation area, asking questions about people's health. She was shocked to learn that more than 50% of the people who lived within a five-mile radius of the nuclear reactors at Three Mile Island had moved away within the past five years though one can hardly blame them. One final story from Mary. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission and Three Mile Island would come and have all these meetings, and people would talk about their problems, and they kept insisting that radiation wasn't the cause, but they never once said what it would have been. They blamed the health department here and the government, blamed a lot of it on stress, I mean, I never had metallic taste before, but I had stress before. I've never heard of an animal mutating because of stress. As for the legal follow-up, citizens succeeded in a class action suit against Three Mile Island, winning $25 million in an out-of-court settlement. Part of this money was used to create the TMI Public Health Fund. In 1983, A federal grand jury indicted the public utility, Metropolitan Edison, on criminal charges for the falsification of safety tests prior to the accident. But under a plea bargaining agreement, MetEd pleaded guilty to one count of falsifying records and no contest to six other charges, four of which were subsequently dropped. They agreed to pay a $45,000 fine and set up a $1 million account to help with emergency planning in the area surrounding the nuclear reactors. Note that $1 million is approximately the profit on one nuclear reactor operating for one day. So it seems that MetEd got off very cheaply. According to Eric Epstein, chair of Three Mile Island Alert, the Three Mile Island plant operator and its insurers paid approximately $82 million in publicly documented compensation to local businesses and residents for, quote, loss of business revenue, business expenses, and health claims. According to longtime anti-nuclear and pro-solar activist Harvey Wasserman, hundreds of -of out-of-court settlements have been reached with alleged victims of the fallout with a total of $15 million paid out to parents of children born in the area with birth defects. However, a large class action lawsuit intended to compensate victims for long-term detrimental health effects was rejected by a Harrisburg Federal District Court judge. The question remains, what caused the accident at Three Mile Island to start in the first place? A tantalizing interpretation is offered by Scott Portsline of Three Mile Island Alert, 
who has studied over 40,000 pages of technical documents relating to the accident and has come to some startling conclusions. When the accident happened, he was away in Greenland on tour with a band and only started questioning what happened upon his return. The first thing I asked when I got back was, what happened? What caused this? Because I was pro-nuclear and I thought this couldn't happen. And the answers came back that uh, one of the suspicions and that was in the newspapers was that it might have been sabotage. Well, I didn't pay any attention to that until about five years later, and that's when I started investigating security issues at nuclear plants when I found some of the actual investigators did suspect sabotage at Three Mile Island. When I found out that some of those rumors had a little bit of credence, rather than going on a wild goose chase with criminal matters, I went to the National Archives and other public document rooms and read the uh, Kemeny Commission report, also known as the President's Commission Investigation on Three Mile Island, and found out that they had actually sent a letter to the FBI requesting a sabotage investigation because of some of the suspicious activity. And so when I go back to 1984, when I first started this research, it sucked me right in because I thought, this is really interesting. I might be looking into a little bit of a mystery here. Scott mentions just a few of the items that led to a suspicion of sabotage at Three Mile Island. There were two main points that caused the original investigators to suspect sabotage from the President's Commission. One of them was the fact that the accident began to the one-year anniversary of startup, to the minute, not just that day, but to the minute at exactly 4 o'clock in the morning is when the first thing went wrong. And that alone caused the investigators for the NRC to ask questions about, were you guys celebrating, were you drinking, or what was going wrong here? And, of course, the operator said they only had coffee and donuts and really didn't make much note of the anniversary date. And another thing that happened that caused a lot of concern with the President's Commission was the emergency feed water valve had been shut off. And, and without those feed water valves, the steam generators boiled dry within two minutes. And when that happened, that's what allowed the uh, fuel to melt because there's no longer the removal of heat from the reactor. One of the more troubling findings of the President's Commission that Scott discovered was that the emergency feed water valves, which send water to the steam generators, were closed. Those are required to be open at all times. And for them to be closed like that was a no-no, and everybody knew that. Also, they would have been closed for at least two days, according to what the NRC concluded, that during a test two or three days beforehand, the operators had to close those, run a test, and then forgot to open them. But the operators said they did open them, and they signed their papers saying that they did open them. And it would also require six shift changes of control room operators not to see on their control panels that these very important valves were closed. That's very highly unlikely, and it looks suspicious. So the folks at the President's Commission, the technical investigators, actually asked for a list of employees who might have had grievances against the company who would have done something like that. Scott Portsline is clear that if the Three Mile Island accident were started by sabotage, the ultimate severity of the accident was not what the saboteurs had in mind. Sabotage was just a triggering event in this crisis, this core melt. 
if my theory is correct and other people who agree with it, including some of the original investigators, the saboteurs did not do enough to cause the accident to get as bad as it did, and that there were design problems and certainly operator errors. But I have a list of nine or ten things that still should be investigated for sabotage. In fact, some of those things can still be analyzed if somebody was willing to do that within the company or the FBI or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I think they were only able to trigger it rather than actually causing a radiological release. The issues Scott Portsline raises are too many and too complex to be addressed in this special report. So we will have a featured interview with him on this topic in the very near future. As for me, my journey back from the terror of Three Mile Island took years. It included an ongoing experience of post-traumatic stress before we knew the term, compulsive overuse of alcohol and food, and the decision not to have children rather than risk giving birth to mutants. So when pro-nuclear forces state nobody died at Three Mile Island, I suggest they have that conversation with my children, none of whom I ever had. What we forget is the fear that people experienced when they knew there was an out-of-control nuclear reactor. This fear raged along the East Coast, where people jammed highways fleeing the Middletown Harrisburg area. People in New York evacuated to New England, and people in New England wondered if they were far enough away. That was everyone's worry. Fortunately, back then, the media was not yet in a multinational corporation stranglehold, and reporters were able to report with honesty, clarity, anger, and little interference. Walter Cronkite anchored a particularly fine and angry special report on CBS, portions of which were heard in this report and which are up on YouTube. People felt threatened, angered, outraged, each one of those feelings a proper response to a nuclear accident. We need to remember the fear, because it was that fear created by Three Mile Island that compounded the financial problems the industry was already having and stopped them dead in their tracks for 30 years. It moved people to wake up to the nuclear danger, to turn their fear into anger and outrage, and then into action against the commercial nuclear power industry. As a result, no new nuclear reactors were licensed between 1979 until 2011, when decades of pro-nuclear, highly subsidized public relations and disinformation campaigns finally took over in the public's mind. We the people have been sold a toxic bill of goods that nuclear is, according to them, clean, green, and sustainable, when in truth it is the most deadly form of energy generation ever invented. So what caused the meltdown at Three Mile Island? Intentional sabotage, operator error, equipment failure, incompetent management, nuclear hubris by a money-hungry utility or all of the above. It makes no difference. Those possibilities I just mentioned are the particulars. At this moment, I don't know which ones prevailed, or why, or in which order, nor do I care. The point is that it wasn't supposed to happen, 
but it did. And now it has more than once. Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima. With smaller accidents and ongoing incidents every year, every month, sometimes even every week. It happens in near misses and covered up hits all the time. Will it happen again? How could it not? If something happens once, it is an accident. Twice, it becomes a pattern. Three times is triangulation of a truth. It sets a trajectory that plots the course for what's going to happen in the future. People are remarkably consistent. So are technological breakdowns. If it happens once, it can happen again. If it happens in one place, it can happen someplace else. History may not repeat itself in the particulars, but in terms of the impact, it will rhyme. These three acknowledged nuclear accidents were just warnings, the harbingers of what inevitably will come. How bad can it get? You don't want to know. Maybe I got hit with radiation. Maybe the plume missed me. But the stress alone was enough to trigger a breakdown in my health and rob me of years and richness of experience. Remember that fear because it is exactly what any one of us will be feeling when the sirens go off and announce a new accident has happened at a nuclear reactor. We have our hands full with what's left over from Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and certainly the ongoing horror that is Fukushima. I pray we never have another accident that adds to that litany of shame. The last thing any anti-nuclear activist wants to be able to say is, I told you so. But we are none of us safe as long as nuclear reactors continue to operate and generate radioactive waste with a half-life of tens of thousands of years. The appropriate response to the threat posed by any nuclear reactor or bomb or weapons manufacturing plant or mining facility is fear. But fear is an emotional energy. Turn that energy that you may be feeling into anger and then use the energy of your anger to fuel action to stop the horror. What is at stake is nothing less than the future of life on Earth itself. To this special TMI at 35 anniversary special. Now, do you remember at the top of the show I promised you a special gift? Here it is. In honor of this 35th anniversary of Three Mile Island, my newly published ebook, Yes, I Glow in the Dark, One Mile from Three Mile Island to Fukushima and Beyond, will be available from Amazon Kindle for free for one day only. This Friday, March 28th, the actual anniversary date. On that day, you can get a copy for yourself, and you can also send copies as a gift to anyone you care about, or perhaps someone who can make a difference. Politicians, reporters, librarians. This is my way of giving you some power to put in the hands of others so they can understand more and take action themselves. It's my way of expressing gratitude to all of you who care enough to listen week after week 
who are willing to learn and who are joined in this fight against nuclear on behalf of all our futures. Now remember, this promotion is good only for Friday, March 28, 2014, starting at midnight Pacific time. It ends exactly 24 hours later. It's in the computer. I'm not going to change it. After that, of course, you can still purchase the book for the regular price of $4.97 American, pretty much the cost of a Starbucks coffee. And remember, you can always send a donation to help me cover bandwidth charges by going to nuclearhotseat.com, scrolling down on the homepage, and clicking on the big red donate button. Whatever you can do to help, know that I am grateful to be able to serve you and our cause in this way. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 25th, 2014. Material for the Three Mile Island Anniversary Special was researched and compiled from Fairwinds Energy Education at fairwinds.org or fairwinds.com with our ongoing gratitude to Arnie Gunderson. Scott Port's line of TMI alert for help with tech as well as his perspective on the accident. TMI Alert member Mary Stamos has provided the human side of what people went through when that accident happened. Our thanks as well to former NRC Commissioner Peter Bradford for taking the time to talk with us and share his memories. And of course, as always, I'm thrilled to be part of the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community and all you juicy, proactive activists. I love you all. You can find all our podcasts posted on nuclearhotseat.com slash blog, and you can get the entire library at iTunes under podcasts. Friend me, friend Nuclear Hot Seat on its two Facebook pages. You can share us, link to us, talk to us, tweet us, retweet us, send a link to this podcast to your personal list, friends, family. This is the activist voice on nuclear issues. So use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to me at info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2014, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use is allowed. You have my permission to reuse this material in non-professional circumstances as long as you credit me and list the website. We're going out this week on one of the songs I wrote for the musical Armageddon, The Living End. You remember that was the little project I was working on in Middletown when a bullhorn interrupted me in the middle of the street? This song is called One Mile from Three Mile Island. Music is by Grady. I wrote the lyric, and yes, that is me doing a Marlena Dietrich impersonation while singing it. Please, be gentle with me. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've had three major nuclear reactor accidents on the face of the planet. That means we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. So now, do not go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Only one mile from Three Mile Island I had me a terrible date 
It messed up my calm. It was almost a bomb. And the name of that bastard was fate. Oh, a girlfriend from Boston had moved and got lost in that small townish mania of South Pennsylvania. I needed a vacation. Some crazed recreation. I called, she said, yes, how could anyone guess that in five days we'd know what came to pass? When a nuclear power plant belched and got gas. Only one mile from Three Mile Island, I had me a terrible day. It messed up my car, it was almost a bomb, and the name of that bastard was Fate. Oh, the day fate intruded, I hung out quite looted, till hunger that bore made me run to the store. There's a clerk told some stranger that there was no danger. There are no effects, say much worse than an X-ray, when I asked what they spoke about that day. She said nuclear plant goo. About one mile that way. Only one mile from Three Mile Island. I had me a terrible date. It messed up my car. It was almost a bomb. And the name of that bastard was Fate. Well, quite unlike Nero, I stood at ground zero. A pawn in the terror of nuclear error. I stared in the mirror as madness drew nearer. This wasn't pretending the future was ending. I stared at my face without surprise. Just sadness to see the world's end in my eyes. Only one mile from Three Mile Island, I had me a terrible date. It messed up my car, it was almost a bomb, and the name of that bastard was fate. In evacuation And drove to a farm Where the vault did no harm It's the news on the telly My knees turned to jelly Cause I learned from TV What had happened to me While the government Tells me I'm alright What do I tell my chromosomes late every night? <laughs> Only one mile from three mile island. I had been. We should have thought the It messed up my palm to the 